The Advanced Placement Program allows high school students to take college-level courses. At least part of the goal is for those students to get course credits at the college or university of their choice. But my guest today says students shouldn't fool themselves. I'm Robin Shannon, and this is Fordham Conversations, where we tap into the Fordham University community to discuss issues that impact our world. Today, I'm joined by Nicholas Tampio, Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. His latest article is AP Courses Do Not Deserve College Credit. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on, Robin. Yeah, and obviously you could tell everybody's social isolating, so we're doing this by way of Zoom. <laughs> um, so, uh, Nick, why do you say the advanced placement exams that students take won't really help them earn college credits? Yeah, well, um, so I, I wrote this piece in, uh, for Inside Higher Education to try to educate people. And when I was, when I was in high school, I took a bunch of AP credits. And I had some really wonderful teachers um, who did a really great I had classroom filled with other students who were going to go on to college. And it was sort of like a college class. And part of the reason I wrote my piece is just to educate people how much it has changed and how far it has removed from a college class. And my argument is that in 2020, the AP program is just this packaged curriculum that leads people to a, a standardized test that does not replicate an authentic college experience. Give us a little background of uh, how the AP courses sort of came about. Well, there's, there's diff different chapters. I mean, it started in 1952. There were three prep schools and three Ivy League universities, and they came together and came up with this report called General Education in School and College. And they said that um, the brightest students were having to repeat what they did in high school once they got to college, and they were wasting their time and effort, and there needed to be a way to allow the best students to just hit the ground running once they got to college. There was also a kind of rationale that um, America in the midst of the Cold War needed to do a better job educating its best and brightest students. So if you could effectively allow high school students to start college early, you would give them a head start so that we could prevail in the Cold War. So that, that's the early uh, history in the 1950s. And that, you know, the first time it was offered, just a few hundred, maybe a few hundred, maybe a thousand students took AP exams uh, in the first couple of years. So it started as a small, it started as a small thing. And then what, what the story of the AP program is that it is just keeps increasing in size to get more and more students and more and more percentage of the student body. And certainly in the 1960s, there was an awareness that this needed to be, if it was going to exist, it needed to be ex expanded to reach underrepresented groups so they could get a taste of college while they were in high school. So, uh, but between 2000 and 2020, there's been a really major shift, which is that uh, something like 70% of American high schools offer AP programs, and about 40% of gra uh, the graduating class took at least one AP class. So uh, there was an article in Education Week talking about the AP program and said it's sort of the de facto national honors program in the country. And uh, so that, that's, why I, that's why I wrote the piece to say, listen, there's been this 
under, under the radar, massive development in American education. It's totally transformed high school for a lot of students. And it has all sorts of repercussions on higher education. So uh, my piece will succeed if it keeps the debate going about whether this is the best system to educate young people for college. Now, I do want to get into the college part, but I want to know, uh, are there in, in any way, are the college courses now, um, or has the whole course changed in any way from the way it was presented in the 50s? Uh, so I can't, I can't speak too specifically about the 50s. If it's all right, I'll start where, where I was. When I was in uh, high school in the 80s and 90s, the teachers would get a topical outline. So they would you know, have a list, have a little line that says Civil War and a little line that would say reconstruction amendments and a little line. So it would be three or four pages, I believe. I couldn't find any from that particular time. The earliest I could find on the internet was 2008. But um, what that did is it allowed high school teachers to have a certain amount of freedom with how, with how they would teach. And one of the things I did when I was researching this piece is I really went through the, uh, the 2019 AP curriculum framework for AP Gov, so my academic subject area. And it really uh, is incredibly prescriptive for virtually every day of the school year. And for me, that just sets off a, a huge uh, alarm. If you're, if you're a student and you go to a good school like Fordham, you expect your professors to be researchers. You expect the professors to be designing the course to, to reflect the teacher's strength and to be drawing out the, the strengths of the student. And I don't see either of that happening in the AP program. Now, before we get um, deep into what doesn't work, uh, Nicholas, before we get too deep into that, can you tell me what are maybe some of the benefits of, of taking an AP course or the AP course load? Right, well, there are, there are valid concerns, and I understand why people want the AP uh, program to be equivalent to a college course. And I mean, the, the, the main one is money, right? College is expensive. And uh, if you play, if you do well enough on certain AP exams, and uh, you go to the school that accepts credit for AP exams, then you effectively can graduate college in three years. And so I've, I, read a, uh, I read a report basically saying that the AP program should be ramped up with that specific goal in mind to effectively make the American college experience three years rather than four. I mean, there are other valid, valid concerns about um, students can uh, skip easier classes and start college with the harder classes. They can avoid introductory classes. Uh, they can double major faster. Um, they can maybe have a better experience in high school. So I think, I think that these are, uh, are all valid concerns, uh, except for me, just the absolute rock bottom reason the AP popular program is popular is money. That the College Board asked students um, this spring if they wanted to take the AP classes online. Now, the College Board has a vested interest in the students saying yes, so we just have to take that source with a grain of truth, a uh, grain of salt. But according to College Board, 91% of students wanted the College Board to administer the AP exams this spring. And, you know, if you read some of the articles, it's just that people are saying, we need to save money, we need to save money on college tuition. The AP program is a reason to do that. But somebody has to say, 
somebody has to do quality control. And that's what I, what I try to do with my inside higher education piece and uh, what I hope other professors enter the conversation because you can call something a college course, but that doesn't necessarily make it so. And I would say right now, the, the AP program, it's not just pure bad. I mean, there's some good elements to it, but it's just not a college course. Are there any colleges that are not using the AP course? Have decided, you know, so, I don't want the hassle? Uh, so there are, I believe, uh, my sources from 2016, but my, I believe there are about eight colleges and universities in America that just don't award any AP credit. That um, a lot of them offer uh, AP credit with certain stipulations that uh, you're, you have to get a certain amount of score to get credit. So the AP credit is on one to five scale and a lot of schools say you need to get at least a four or five to get to, to get credit. Um, certain schools are putting stipulations on how many AP credits you can use towards uh, your degree. Certain ones are saying you can, you can use it but not for your major. So there, there, are different, there are different restrictions. As a political scientist, I'm interested in how public policy affects the debate. And what you're seeing now is policymakers are saying, okay, institutions of higher education, if you want money, and of course they all do, if you want money, you have to award credit for AP programs. So Washington State, I have a, I have a friend, Johan Neem, who's a history professor at uh, Western Washington University. Basically, the legislature is telling their university, you got to start awarding more credits for AP exams. And you see it all throughout the country. Uh, it's primarily public universities that are liable here. But, you know, the way that the system is structured, that if all the public schools start awarding massive amounts of credit for AP programs, then there's going to be more and more pressure on the private schools to follow suit. And then you're going to just, you know, that, that's a way to sort of increase the intensity of the pressure to, uh, to, for schools, for colleges to award more credit for AP programs. And I don't want our country to back into that option without thinking about it. And I want college professors to be more involved in looking at these curricula framework and saying whether they, in fact, are similar to a college course or not. Because it sounds like what you're saying is it has become this one size fits all for everyone. And the focus is really not on the education part, but it's on the we would like everyone using our course so that yeah it looks like everything is synced up but it's not necessarily the type of education these students should be getting is that is that where you go that, that's a, that's a, that's 100 percent where i'm going with it that it's a um it's kind of a you know on, on social media people will say things like it's a cash grab it's a scheme it's a scam it's uh you know basically what happens is the college board is about a one billion dollar a year industry so it's technically a nonprofit, which simply means that they're not allowed, they don't, they don't have stocks and they, they don't have dividends, but they can use that money to pay their executives extremely high salaries, which is what they do. So it's a, it's a $1 billion a year industry. The executives are extremely well compensated, but people go along with it because it saves them money. It, um, high school teachers get to say they're effectively helping students get college credit. So they sort of feel like they're college professors. Uh, superintendents and principals get to say, hey, we're, 
we're a college prep program. In fact, we're, we're as good as college because keep, schools are getting college credit. Um, you've got families and students saying, hey, this is a good system because I get to save money. So yes, I have to pay, what was it, like $95 to take the AP exam. And maybe if I take 10 exams, I have to spend almost, uh, almost $1,000. But it's worth it because I'll, I'll effectively save money when I get to college. So one, one, uh, one student at University of Southern California said she saved $60,000 from AP program or AP test. So there's lots of incentives for people to go along with the system, right? They're, it's not in their interest to rock the boat and to say that they're not equivalent. But, you know, I'm a college professor and I care about it and I take this, I take it seriously. And I think that there's certain distinguishing features of a college course. And what you're seeing in America is some of the best private schools are getting rid of the AP program. So the, the notion that it's like the cream of the crop, it's the best that we can do. No, that's not it at all. It's a, it's a package program that leads to a standardized test. Uh, it's not all bad, but it's not a college course. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, talking with Nicholas Tampio, Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. We're discussing his recent article, AP Courses Do Not Deserve College Credit. Now, speaking of standardized tests, is there a connection, uh, Nicholas, between uh, the Advanced Placement Program and Common Core? Yeah, well, I... Um... I, you know, I believe we've, we've talked about this a few times that I, I'm a, uh, I've written two books on the Common Core, one with Johns Hopkins University Press and one with University of Minnesota Press. Uh, if I could toot my own horn for one moment, I think I'm probably the most prominent scholarly critic of the Common Core standards themselves. So a lot of people say the standards are good, but the problem has been implementation. And so the, the space in the debate that I've carved for myself is I said, actually, the standards themselves are part of the problem. So uh, what's the connection between the Common Core and the uh, AP program is that David Coleman was the architect of the Common Core. He was the person, uh, the lead writer of the English language arts standards. In 2012, he became the head of the college board. And in 2012, he announced that he was going to align the AP program with the, uh, with the Common Core. Now, because there was so much backlash against the Common Core, uh, College Board doesn't bring that to the foreground, but there's, if you know what you're looking for, you can see the connections. And I'll say one thing about the connections. The most important Common Core standard is the first English language arts anchor standard for reading. And what that says is that you need to cite specific textual evidence from the, uh, the text. And, now, scholars have been citing evidence for a long time. What's unique about this is you use the words and only the words from the text in your answer. So you're not allowed to use synonyms. You're not allowed to bring in outside things. You have to use the exact words from the text. And uh, David Coleman gives rationale for this approach. Uh, you, you know, people are certainly free to look on the internet to, to see where he defends this approach. I mean, there's one place called Cultivating Wonder. But from my, from my perspective, it's purely based on standardized testing, that if students write answers with the exact words from the text, computers can grade it. And in fact, you can already find evidence on, 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 the, on the web that 
the uh, AP programs are being graded by computers. And certainly uh, common core tests all around the country are being graded by computers. So one of my students saw my article and read it and then wrote me a letter. And what she said is that at her high school, students would have to take a practice AP test every single night of the school year. And every single night of the school year, they'd have to write a five paragraph essay responding to an AP prompt. And yet what happens is students show up to my classes and all they know how to do, all they've been trained to do is write five paragraph essay. And John Warner wrote a very, very smart book about um, what's it called, why they can't write. And basically said five paragraph essays destroying the writing ability of American youth. Uh, Annie Abrams is a high school teacher in New York, and she's a very prominent critic of the AP program. And she wrote uh, you know, a really great piece in higher, Inside Higher Education saying, as a, she's, a, she's a PhD in English literature, and she said, this is killing me because I'm teaching these students how to take a standardized test and not use writing to, to develop thoughts, to share emotions, to try to move people. There's, you know, writing is this incredible gift that human beings have. And it's, you know, it's magic. I mean, it's power. If you can use the right words, you can change the world. And yet they're not being encouraged to do any of that stuff. The goal is just get that sandwich on the page as quickly as you can to get the good score on the test. Uh, Nicholas, you hinted that, or, or you touched on the fact that um, the AP was moving online. So how does or would the college board uh, who administers the exam keep kids from cheating if it moves online? So that so that was that was a scandal this year. So what happened is that um, schools had to close in a hurry in early March, and uh, the AP program is normally offered in May. And um, uh, students were worried about not being able to take the, the exam and get credit. College Board was certainly worried about having to refund millions of dollars in not, not taking tests. So there's mutual reason to make sure the tests happen. So, so this particular year, they said, all right, rather than the normal, I believe, three hour exam, they were gonna make it 50 minutes, or actually it's uh, 45 minutes with a five minute break. So for, 50, for a 50 minute online exam, you could possibly get college credit. And the AP, uh, college board on their website said, we talked to college admissions counselors they assured us the same arrangements were going to be in place. You can still get college credit for the AP program. And uh, so, you know, it seems like this is right for cheating because if it's the old three hour exam with uh, 50 multiple choice questions, and uh, that, that seems that would, you know, people could quickly figure out the answers to that using the web and sharing their answers. So they said, all right, we're, we're just going to give two free response questions. We were given uh, some, a text, an image, a graph with some data. Uh, I believe there's one question without any additional documents. But you're basically, so you're given some, a question and you have to answer it uh, as, you know, within the time online. And so, you know, the, the question is, is, was this going to be enough to stop cheating? And so there have been articles about how uh, the college board sent out a signal that said, we're going to monitor social media to see if people are cheating, if they're setting up cheating rings. And in fact, they did, uh, they did identify a cheating ring and they nullified some students' uh, scores. And then there was a whole scandal about, um, was the AP setting up a fake Reddit account 
to try to get people to admit that they were cheating? Were they, was the AP program trying to, to cheat? And, you know, you can certainly read uh, about these scandals online, the cat and mouse game between students and college board. Here's my take on it, is that everybody in the conversation was being incredibly cynical, right? That uh, the, the AP exam, I mean, part of my cr critique of it is that it's such a, such a short test with such incredible high stakes for whether you get college credit or not, right? That in my courses, you have to take lots of exams, write lots of papers, do lots of assignments, be part of the class conversation. And then the notion that you can get out of it with a three-hour exam, basically using formulaic test-taking skills, that bothers me. This year, it was even worse, 50 minutes. And then there's cheating scandals on top of it. And the College Board is you know, inc incurring ill will from students who are just you know, so irritated with the College Board for, for its behavior. And then there's a whole other scandal where that certain students weren't able to upload their exams in time. And uh, so parent, you know, young people were freaking out about uh, what they were gonna do. And then the College Board said, well, if you send it in within a day, by email, it'll count, and then some kids did, and some kids didn't, and uh, so for me, as a as an spectator from the outside, I said the system was already rotten. This is extra rotten this year. Uh, you know, I I don't know how the, the College Board could prevent cheating going on into the future, uh, but the College Board shouldn't have that power, right? This is a this is a mess we've made ourselves by allowing the College Board to be the arbiters of who gets college credit. So, uh, you know, I really would love people to be brainstorming together about, hey, listen, we could do, we could do a better job educating uh, high school students. And, you know, we could make college a really rich experience, even in the introductory classes. They don't have to be the same as a high school class. But what if I'm a parent? Are there steps that a, a parent can take? You're a parent. Are there steps a parent can take to sort of put a kibosh on this? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and um, part of the, I, you know, I wish I could just say there's an easy there's an easy choice, but there there's not necessarily an easy choice. I mean, uh, if you can send them to private school, if you can homeschool, I mean, that's one way to avoid the programs, right? That um, so there were eight area uh, private schools in Washington D.C. that published an article in the Washington Post, I believe, two years ago, saying we're no longer offering AP programs that what we're doing is we're going to offer seven English literature electives. And um, these schools are prominent enough, like Sidwell Friends and other, that's where Obama sent his kids, right? But, so these kinds of schools are prominent enough that admissions counselors will be like, okay, this is one of the big eight schools in Washington, D.C., then we could, um, then we're going to award, award credit for that. But those are the exceptions, right? So most, most people are in, are in public school. Uh, there are some schools that offer special things that are not AP programs. So, you know, I certainly would encourage parents to look into that and encourage the local schools to say, hey, listen, could we get more internships? Could we, uh, I have mixed feelings about the IB program. Um, I have an IB diploma. Uh, I certainly am very uh, proud and grateful for my IB education international. What's IB, Nicholas? Yeah, it's, a, it's called it's International Baccalaureate. It was founded by uh, it was started by UNESCO, um, you know, United Nations um, Cultural Organization, and it 
was sort of an elite education, and at least when I took it, uh, it was extremely selective to get into the program, and they did a lot of things like writing independent uh, research projects. So that's part of why I loved it, because in high school I was doing research, and I think that that's one of the, the defining features of college, is that you, every, every class, if it's a good one, is gonna be offering you opportunities to break new ground maybe not huge amounts of new ground, but something that hasn't been said before. And um, so my, uh, I, so I went to a magnet program in Washington, DC. So it was, um, it was largely in an urban, it was, the school was in an urban district, but it drew suburban students to sort of bring them into this, uh, this urban school district. And I had a good, I had a good education. Um, some people are, talk about IB and AP in the same breath, that certain college admissions will award credit for IB exams, uh, which are, at least when I took them, seven-point scale. But uh, my, I, I don't know, I want to research before I speak uh, conclusively on this, but I, I don't think that IB is the same program that, that I, when I was in it. I think it's been a lot more standardized. Um, so, but certainly, you know, if you could find, if you could find any pockets of freedom for your children, that's what I would do. And if you have to, if they have to take AP exams, it's not the end of the world, but maybe you could find other ways for them to develop their unique talents, get them to be a volunteer somewhere, find them, get a tutorial or an internship or something that gives them a little bit of spark uh, that they might not normally get in public school. So Nicholas, can you uh, help us understand the difference between AP Gov and uh, Introduction to Politics at Fordham University? Right, so this, when I was writing my piece, I was, I was most interested in the AP course that matches up with what I teach at, at Fordham. And I've taught at a bunch of other selected universities, but I'm you know, a proud member of the faculty at Fordham. And the, uh, the AP Gov framework is 188 pages. And uh, a lot of people, commented angrily on my post out inside of higher education and said, this covers material that you should be studying when you get to college, right? And, and so how do you respond to that, right? And so I don't, my argument would not be that AP Gov uh, doesn't teach things that young people should learn, right? I think that young people should read Brutus. I think they should read the Federalist Papers, should be reading Supreme Court cases. So it's, my argument is not, it's not all bad. But the fact is, is when you show up to uh, Introduction to Politics by Fordham, you are taking a class with an active researcher who has to publish articles in order to get tenure and get promoted. So part of the requirement to publish an article is you have to contribute to human knowledge. So you're taking a class with an active practitioner in the, act, in the academic discipline. And a good class will be introducing students to the cutting edge of the discipline. So the fact is, is that when you go to Introduction to Politics at Fordham, you might not be reading Supreme Court cases, although for some you will. You might not be reading uh, these foundational documents about the Declaration of Independence, right? That at a place like Fordham, the faculty teach different versions of the same class. And the reason we do that is, is something the Germans called Lehrfreiheit height, freedom to teach. And when you, when students go to a good university, they expect their professors to have the freedom to teach the cutting edge of the discipline. And so the, my argument is not that the AP Gov is all bad. My argument is that the AP Gov 
is not equivalent to the introduction to politics class at Fordham University. And we're not helping students by saying they're the same thing. So it seems like there would be either a need, even if you didn't replace it, there might be a need to refresh it, uh, change it. Well, what I would, what I would argue is that um, part of the reason that the College Board has so much power is because they have this financial incentive um, or this financial leverage over students and teachers that you either play the game or you don't get the college credit. I think if we take away the College Board's power to award college credit, then we're going to open up a lot more space for freedom in high school. And so that's one, that's one of my big overarching concerns. I want freedom for students and I want freedom for teachers. And if, you, and if teachers don't have to teach to the test, they can bring students on field trips, they can bring in guest speakers, they can bring in journalists, they can bring in politicians, um, they could be responding to the news events. Right? If you're doing the AP program, you're locked in for the entire school year. Well, you know, if you're, if you're a high school teacher and there are major protests happening in the street, you might want to talk about those with your students. You might not want to be like, all right, well, this is uh, unit 17 of uh, lesson plan number four that's going to talk about. No, no, that's not what good education is. That a good teacher will respond to what's happening in the classroom. That, you know, I'm always, my lectures are in my curricula, my syllabi, and my assignments are, you know, change in response to what's happening in the world. So I would love to see that kind of freedom throughout the educational system. My thanks to Nicholas Tampio, Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. Join us this time next week for more Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon.